This is the Decibel Geek Podcast with Aaron Camaro and Chris Sinzak. This is the Decibel Geek Podcast. We are back for more and ready to lay it down. My name is Aaron Camaro, joined as always by Chris Sinzak. How you feeling today, my man? I'm way cool. Way cool. Junior. Junior. Nice. Oh, man. This is going to be so much fun today. I'm really stoked about it. When you told me we were doing this, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it either, and it all came together in a matter of days. Um, yeah. You'll hear about how everything came together with getting Alexi Lawless on the show and uh, how he's a massive rat fan. Yeah. Much more than you ever would have expected. Yeah, this is going to be really interesting. It's the meeting of the worlds. we got a we got a giant of the sports world. Yeah. You know, obviously, Alexi's a huge soccer star. And uh, you got rock and roll. You know, we're, we're bring that to the table. And we'll find out just how much of a rock and roller Alexi is, which yeah. is he's hugely into rock and roll. It's and, very cool. And I do want to mention, he's also a musician himself. Right. And we, of course, we'll do the regular play out with a, with a song that he picks by Rat, but after that song, I'm going to put in a one of his own solo songs from his solo album, Shots, that just came out. Yeah, definitely worth checking out. If you're a rock and roller and you like the melodic stuff, mm-hmm. you're probably going to dig it. He's really good. So I'm guessing this week, we've probably got a bunch of first-time listeners with us. Yeah. So, you know, if you're joining us because you're a huge fan of Alexi, welcome to the Decibel Geek Podcast. This is your weekly rock and roll podcast. There's a lot of them out there. We do our own thing. We hope you like it. I know you're going to enjoy it today because of our guest, but come back, check us out, and check out some of our archives. But one thing we do every single week around here, it's the way we kick off the show every single time. It's my favorite thing in the whole dang world. It's iTunes reviews. And we've got one here that's really, really awesome. It's five stars, and it's entitled, The Blue Line is Held by More Than the Cops. We should explain to the first-time listeners. Oh, yeah, because last week we did our show called Cranking Cranking the the Law. Law. Yeah, so what we did was we picked subjects sometimes. I mean, like today we're talking to Alexi, and we were doing an interview, and we're talking about rock and roll, which we do all kinds of interviews. We do some shows that are Albums Unleashed, where Mm -hmm. we sit down with somebody who had a hand in making an awesome album, and, you know, all kinds of stuff. Sometimes we just do themes, and our theme last week, Mm -hmm. as a great excuse to play some really good rock music, was our appreciation for our boys in blue right here in the United States and I guess all over the world. Yeah. Law enforcement officers that are out there fighting on the streets to keep us safe, you know, right or wrong. There's a lot of controversy going Mm -hmm. on, but we just wanted to shine some light on, you know, our, our appreciation for what our law enforcement community does for us. And like I said, as always, an excuse to play some really great rock music. So that's what we did last week. So this is how the iTunes review goes. And it says, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is my second five-star review, and it's well-deserved. I'm a dedicated decibel geek, and I live for all things hard rock and metal. But I'm also a cop. I've been a police officer for 23 years and a metalhead for many more years than that. My job is so misunderstood today by popular media and the minions who willingly listen to their BS. It's awesome when we, police officers, catch an ounce of positivity. To catch some from you guys made my week. Thank you for the support, the podcast, and for flying the flag, for metal, for rock, and for the men and women in blue putting it all on the line in every community around the country. You guys are the best. 
That's a five-star iTunes review, and that's oh, that's awesome. It's no better praise than to hear that. So I'm, yeah. I'm happy we could make your day, man. Yeah, we're grateful that people appreciate it. You know, we, we as we say, you know, support your local law enforcement. The better relationship you have with them, the less likely bad things are going to happen to you because they're looking out for you. Absolutely. And our other favorite people uh, are the Geeks of the Week. And if you're new to the show, Geeks of the Week, basically, if you like this episode and you share on Facebook or retweet on Twitter the link to this episode that we post. The next week, I will read your name on the show. I get a feeling you're going to be reading a lot of new names next week. I would think so. So Geeks of the Week this week are Mike Stewart, Dave Shirt, Todd Cunningham, Matt Ashcraft, Jeffrey Mendenhall, Cobras and Fire Podcast, Baco, Kevin Williams, Ian Wadley from Rock and Metal Combat Podcast, Thomas Mukaji, Joe Royland, Sit and Spin with Joe, Dennis Gamez, Paul Korn, Brian Knapp, Brad Schick, Brad Kalmanson, Rockin' Ron Runyon, Trevor McDougal, Darren Parkin, William Douglas, Wayne Cross, Adam Cox, Greg McGlone, Brant Cattell, Mikel Burrell, Joe Lascon, Sean Cullen, Andrew Jacobs, Mark Alden Taylor, Anthony Britt, Joe Polo from Podcast Rock City, The Rockin' Donkey, The Off Our Meds Podcast, Ernesto Aguiar, Chad Leesener, and The Mooger Fooger. That's awesome. Those are our people. They retweeted and shared last week's episode, helped us get the word out on the streets because we're trying to gather up the rock and roll community and bring them all in to party with us. A great way to become a Geek of the Week, go to our Facebook page, Decibel Geek Podcast on Facebook. Like the page, share it right from there. Yep. And next week, you will have your name read, and you will be an honorary Geek of the Week. That's right. So we uh, we ready to rat and roll with Alexi Lawless? Sure am, man. This is going to be awesome. You guys are going to love it. that runs our twitter page recently got in touch with me and and he said you need to check out who just followed you guys and it it was you and um i saw the name i'm like i remember this name and then when i google image searched your name i was like oh i really know who this is Uh and and you were i remember i remember you being all over the media back in the mid 90s and i when the you when the uh World, World Cup, World Cup was going, States. yeah, ninety yeah. four, right? Yeah, yeah, back in the nineteen hundreds. So uh, <laughs> you know, we've we've all grown up a little bit since then. At least uh, we've we've changed a little bit, and I guess grown up a little bit, at least on the outside. Yeah, uh, but we're still the same old metal maniacs that uh, were running around in the, in my case, in the eighties and the nineties in right. uh, suburban Detroit. So, 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 so the other day I was on Twitter and uh, I was desperate for some new podcasts to follow and i just put it out there to to my followers i say hey hit me up what what's what's cool out there uh, and not soccer ones but just uh general what other mm-hmm. culture music they they know the type of music i'm into and right. and so a lot of different uh possibilities came back one of them was rock solid which i know mm-hmm. uh you guys had uh come on as a um a guest and yeah. so i listened to that I heard you guys. There is the power of uh, cross promotion and promoting yourself on other people's podcasts. And one thing led me to another. And in this day and age, it doesn't take long to uh, get to the places where you want to go. And uh, I've been listening ever since. That's awesome. That's very cool, man. It's cool the way that works out. That's interesting, yeah, because I, re- I remember you real well from back in the 90s. I, got, I think MTV gave you quite a bit of exposure back then, because of, I think mostly because of your look. And they so the World Cup was going on. It was like, well, this guy has a real interesting look so you got a lot of media attention back in those days i remember that and uh so like and i told i talked to my friend uh today who he still lives up in kansas city and i used to live up in kansas city and i was like oh, we're gonna have alexi lawless on the show and he's like oh my god you know i was like i remember him playing for the wizards and yeah um yeah 
Yeah. We, we used to go on the morning shows and stuff, and uh, Johnny Dare was out there, who's yep. a, you know, a big rock supporter out there. And I mean, look, uh, my, my life completely changed in the 90s because of soccer, because of the World Cup, which we hosted. And I know most of your listeners aren't into, into soccer, but for those that do remember, back in 1994, the U.S. hosted the World Cup. It was kind of my coming out party because it was played in the United States and because yeah. a billion people were watching. It opened up incredible opportunities for me on the soccer field and off the soccer field. And I got to do so many different things uh, the way that I played. And, and like you mentioned, the way that I looked, you know, crazy hair and never has so much been done with a modicum of talent and a lot of hair and, uh, and a guitar and, uh, uh, you know, a, a lust for life, shall we say. But it, it, it was wonderful. And it's interesting what we're going to talk about today. I really, at times, patterned myself out of the whole uh, 80s whatever we're going to call it nowadays, glam metal uh, scene, especially the L.A. Uh, version of it, where it was just so much about promotion and self-promotion and what the way you said something was as important as what you said, mm -hmm. the way you looked was as important as your sound, all of that kind of stuff. So at an early age, I looked at myself as a performer and an entertainer. It just happened to be uh, on the on the soccer field that I was doing it, but there were people there, and I wanted to get that that interaction. And one of the ways to do that was by the things that you said and the way that you looked and all that kind of stuff. But I I definitely relate it back to a lot of the stuff that went on with those bands that I was following, and, and obviously one of the bands that we'll, we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, and well, and that's how this all kind of got lined up. Was after I saw that you followed us, I just said. Thanks for the follow. Uh, didn't know you were into hard rock and metal, and you said you have no idea, and you sent me a link to, I think it was Ultimate Classic Rock. It was like a top ten rat songs list that you had picked. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, I've done some pretty cool things in my life, but but when I get to talk about rat and talk about my love for this this genre of music and music in general, mm -hmm. uh, it just warms the cockles of my redheaded heart, and uh, I I I. I love doing it, and I don't get to do it a whole uh, a whole lot. But when I can, whether it's writing an article or, in this case, talking on a podcast, it's it's so much fun. Because, as you mentioned, you know, growing up, I was really into music, but also into sports. And and as many people know, growing up, a lot of times those two groups don't often mix. Right. But I was really fortunate to be able to be able to weave my way through all of these different worlds and meet so many different people and people that I wouldn't normally meet from a sporting perspective or I wouldn't normally meet from a music perspective. And that's how music has, has influenced me and changed my life. And it's still a huge part of my life nowadays. And uh, I love it so much. And I love talking about it. And I love talking about people like you guys mm -hmm. that are that are into it. You know, I mean, for example, I was listening to your podcast uh, a couple podcasts ago, and you guys were playing some Enough is Enough. You were playing Wheels, which is just a beautiful song. Yeah. And, and you know, so, so a band like Enough's Enough, but, you know, everybody listens to or maybe knows Fly High Michelle or New Thing, but there's so much wonderful material out there. And kudos to you guys for bringing it to the forefront or, or at least continuing it on because it deserves the, the, the type of uh, time and energy and, and respect that you guys show it. Oh, thanks, man. That's yeah. awesome. And, uh, yeah. That's awesome. Were you always like, the even back in the day, were you the kid, the rock and roller that also happens to be a really damn good soccer player? <laughs> well, yeah, and, and and while you know, there's there's the genre, the genre that we're talking about. You know, keep in mind, I was also you know, I started out listening to. I guess the classics for me would have been uh, your your Zeppelins and and then on to Van Halens and then all through the '80s metal scene, but also at the same time listening to Duran Duran and these types of uh, these types of groups, and then into John Mellencamp and Tom Petty and Neil Young and all that kind of stuff alongside. So you know, one day I would go and see. 
uh, Hall and Oates mm-hmm. in a show, and then the next day I'd be at a little club seeing Shotgun Messiah or something nice. like that. So, uh, but that, but but for me, that that type of eclectic eclectic way of thinking mm-hmm. and and loving music is important. And there's so many, as you guys know, there's so many different threads, and oftentimes we put people in boxes and we love to name bands or genres and stuff like that. But it, it's really just I just like good music, and I really love melodic music mm-hmm. and certainly melodic rock, and and that's really where. Uh, that that's that gets into my ear as soon as I hear great singing and great songwriting and, and melody and harmonies and stuff like that whether it's a a yacht rock type of band <laughs> or a glam rock type of band if it's a good song it's a good song and I want to listen to it that's true right so you're from the Ted Templeman school so you can get into the yes, Doobie Brothers exactly. or Van Halen okay yep so it's all rock and roll it is all rock and roll so, um, so Rat, let's well let, let let's get on to this. So, um, how did you first get into Rat, and what was your first exposure to them? All right, so my first exposure, being your typical suburban kid, uh, back in as I said, a suburb of Detroit, growing up, and in that whole MTV generation. For me, my introduction to Rat wasn't the the EP, which a lot of people that were inside were able to hear. It was when Out of the Cellar came out, and more importantly, when Round and Round the, the video came out. Mm-hmm. And the video, because I was, I remember going to home to my to my friend's house because he had cable, and we were able to watch MTV and just gorging on whatever was coming through. And boom, here is this thing that immediately I'm saying, I want that. Out on the streets, that's where- That's when it first hit me. Uh, for a lot of people, the round and round song, and it's still ubiquitous now when you talk about th- that genre and that time and certainly that band. But that was my intro to it through MTV and, and seeing that that moment when uh, you know Stephen Piercy's licking his finger and doing the kicks, or Warren <laughs> Demartini's falling through the, uh, the <laughs> through the ceiling, yeah. uh, and and obviously the uh, the influence of the Burles and, and, and Milton in particular uh, yeah. making the guest star. So all of that just appealed to me, and then I was off to the races. Have you ever seen the outtakes of that video where, where Milton Burles like just mad as hell at everybody? No, but I, you know, uh, Stephen talks about it in his biography and and all that. But I mean, look, that was it was really inspired and. You know, I was right on the cusp of not really knowing who it was, mm-hmm. but there were enough people that could figure it out, and there was a reason why this old guy was in it. Mm-hmm. And to hear hear them talk about how he kind of took over the set, because this was a giant, literally in Hollywood at the time, yeah, and sure. it didn't done everything for these guys. It was it was a it was a really strange pairing, but it made sense. And yeah. I think we'll talk a whole lot more about how. The pairings that Rat had, other than the five original members, mm-hmm. um, were really, really important and influential in terms of how this juggernaut got started. Yeah, I, and I, I just remember I was one of the first kids on my block to have MTV, so I remember when the video was brand new. I wasn't even a hard rock fan really so much at the time. It was kind of before that, but I do remember when it came out. And I remember I was watching it one day, and my dad walked in, and he saw Milton Berle on TV, and he goes, that's Milton Berle. And he's like, that's interesting to see. Who's the band sucks, but that's Milton Berle. <laughs> My dad yeah, was not a, well, not a fan. Well, it, it, this is, you know, the the out of the cellar thing and the whole MTV thing. I mean, my first concert ever was uh, Pat Benatar at the Pine Knob Music Theater, the Crimes of Passion tour. And it was awesome. And, and this whole world of live music and 
and j just was introduced to me. And then to take it a whole step further with uh, with Rat, which was a whole other thing than obviously Pat Benatar. But that visual part was such a huge component, as it is for many of the the, the acts that broke in the uh, in the 80s. It was such a huge part of the attraction, the um, the ambition, the uh, the, the sexiness, if you will, when you're sitting in your, your room in suburban uh, Detroit thinking about what it's like to be on that sunset, sunset strip and to live that type of life that these guys are living and illustrating in these types of videos. I mean, it was basically visual crack to a <laughs> yeah. 12, 13-year-old kid. Absolutely. Yes, it was. I was that way sitting in the suburbs of Nashville and Aaron was in the suburbs of Milwaukee. I guess if you want to call somewhere, it that. somewhere in Wisconsin, <laughs> somewhere in Wisconsin. Yeah. Young kid watching MTV going, I'm in the wrong place. <laughs> oh, man. it was beautiful. So, mm -hmm. okay. So we'll, we'll, let's start with the EP because it does bear discussion because it's, it's a pretty legendary EP and I know it, well, to this day, it's still hard to get your hands on. Um, it was in July of 83, they signed with independent LA label time coast music, which, obviously is not around anymore. And later that same year, they would re release in the United States, the six song EP just titled rat, which they would have an issue with the title going on a few years later. But, um, the, and it's, it's, it's one hell of an EP. Um, all the tracks are written by Steven and Robin, um, except for, a, a, well, of course you have the cover of walk and the dog. Um, it's a much rawer sounding thing than anything else they would release later. And I think Sweet Cheater is one hell of an introduction to the band if you're hearing that, if that's your first exposure. And I think it's one of the most metal-sounding songs that Rad ever did. I love the guitar duel near the end of You Got It. I think that's really cool. And um, I think it's a snapshot of the Southern California scene, basically, right as it's exploding. It, uh, basically, Rat, Rat, Motley Crue, and Quiet Riot were the three, kind of the three forefathers of that sound. And uh, I think this is a great example of that. Most definitely. And, and not just the, the, uh, not just the, the way that it sounded, but the the metallic way that it sound, sounded, which which went away after they got into a much more produced type of sound. Mm -hmm. But this was this was raw razor type mm -hmm. of guitar. And and you mentioned Sweet Cheater. For me, that's the best the best track on the album uh, mm -hmm. uh, for me or on the EP. I, I just loved Sweet Cheater. I know everybody talks about Tell the World and yeah. um, and you got it and all that kind of stuff. And then obviously earlier versions uh, of, of Back for More and that kind of stuff. But for me, it was awesome. I actually. When I went back and got got the EP after getting into Out of the Cellar, I was able to get my hands on one of the original ones mm. with the original picture on the back with Steven in like this ridiculous uh, 
looked like this overcoat, this uh, inspector gadget type of uh, huge overcoat with with shoulder pads that they then changed out later on for a different picture. But I I, I don't have it anymore. I I kick myself and it's somewhere lost in the sands of the time. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, let's see. But yeah, and I think I read somewhere that Robin used to tell people like, if you want to hear the real sound of Rat, listen to the EP. That that's you know that's them before they got changed by the production. Well, sure, and that's like Alexi said. You know, it's got that raw, just kind of these guys are scratching and clawing to make it. You know, and they mm-hmm. put everything they've got into these six songs, and you know this is this is Rat. But then once they get grabbed up by the big record labels then all of a sudden they get kind of glossy a little bit you know a little bit poppier but yeah i really love the sound on this ep because of that you know it's like Mm -hmm. listening to any band on their debut or some of their really early stuff when they're just clawing and scratching before they ever quite make it big but this is like a real look Mm -hmm. at at the skeleton of rat you know and it, it would change over time but there's really something special about that ep yeah, definitely. Uh, so the they get up, end up the EP does good enough to get them signed by Atlantic Records. Doug Morris comes out, sees them at a show, says, "I want to sign you guys," and they basically say, "Well, if it's good enough for Led Zeppelin and the Rolling Stones, it's good enough for us, so we'll sign with you." And they move from San Diego up to LA to to make it. Um, and then out of the cellar comes out the next year, 1984. Uh, produced by Bo Hill, which would be a partnership that would last for a while. I think before we jump on from the EP, it's interesting to note that the legs on the front co- cover yeah. of, the, of the album belong to Tawny Katane, yep. who was actually dating Stephen Piercy at no, the time. No, Robin. Or she was ro- dating. Oh, yeah, Robin. You're right. Right. Yeah, Robin Crosby. And then, of course, she was in the video for, was it Back for More? Yeah, the video for Back for More. She was. She went around back then, didn't she? Yeah. She made the rounds with the rock and rollers. Well, she was... Alexi, you ever date Tawny Katane? I didn't. Uh, <laughs> one, that, that I, I feel left out, but uh, I think she was, she's on the cover of Cellar, too, of Out of the Cellar, too. I mean, look, she yeah. was all over the place in that metal scene and... And obviously with with White Snake and with uh, Coverdale and all that kind of stuff, but yeah. uh, it, it's interesting hearing uh, a reading about that cover with the rats, where they had to go and get the rats and throw it on Tawny's uh, legs in order mm-hmm. to get that shot for the uh, uh, for the cover. Um, and uh, and and I know we're going to talk about more about the production, but as as metal and as raw and as club as this was cuz you could you picture like a song like sweet cheater mm-hmm. that's the type of thing that's being played in a in a sweaty club with 500 people you're just about to break and it's the type of song that can be played live and almost comes from that live environment before people actually get into that studio i actually i like the more produced rat mm-hmm. later on but it is interesting to see where the ingredients come from and where that that birth of the sound was on these songs that they had been working on. And then what it came to be later on when other people got involved. Right. Yeah. So on out of the cellar, um, Bo Hill comes aboard and starts producing them. Uh, the album ends up peaking at number seven on the billboard 200, of course, on the strength of round and round, which just exploded when it came out. That was huge. Just everywhere. A, a, just a massive song. Um, Wanted Man is one of my favorite album album openers um, of all time. I and we had did an we did an episode called Album Openers, and that was one of my picks because it's just an awesome song. And my first uh, exposure to Wanted Man though was the Weird Science movie. 
because it was in, mm-hmm. in Weird Science. It's in the scene <laughs> near the end where they're driving. Oh, yeah. Weird Science. What a movie. <laughs> that was great. Another staple of the of the time. Um, I, th- I just think uh, one thing, and, and I'm going to say this a lot, but the the work that, that Warren D. Martini does um, through their whole catalog, I mean, the, and it's weird because I remember back in the day when, when they were basically a current big band, you know, he was mentioned along with all the guitar heroes at the time. I and mean, he was right up there with Eddie Van Halen and all, and, you know, and uh, George Lynch and uh, Zach Wilde a little bit later on. But his name doesn't come up nearly enough anymore. And maybe that's just due to inactivity. You know, people start to forget about you a little bit. But just go back and listen to his work on these records. And, like, even on songs, which we'll get into a little bit later, which there's some songs that would wind up I would consider filler. I would even if I was like, well, I'm not crazy about this song, but I'm gonna wait till it gets to the guitar solo. He would always have a mind-blowing guitar solo, mm-hmm. you know. And you know, he could save any song, in my opinion. And the work between him and Robin Crosby, you know, the twin guitar attack. Uh, there's a lot of different uh, things going on in each song. They, I mean, they did a lot of cool little harmony guitar parts together. And another, that's a duo that doesn't come up in conversation enough. You but know, it definitely should. Um, while the hits get the most attention on this album, um, there's a ton of great deep cuts on it, including In Your Direction and The Morning After, which is one of my favorite Rat songs, and it's one of Warren Martini's all-time best guitar solos. Off, but let's let's talk one and man because uh, I have to uh, absolutely agree with you. That is one of the best opening songs on an album that I've ever heard, ever heard and uh, heard. And and look, we all we all know that that I'm a devout Rat fan, and it's very difficult for me to say which songs are good. And it's all relative because I I love them all. But and we're here to kind of go through and and to and to say what is good and maybe what isn't so good. Mm. But when it comes to one and man, it's not just an opener but then you get that scream from Piercy right at the beginning and it just grabs you by the throat and says all right you have got to listen mentioned the, the the fact that it was uh, you know used in movies and that kind of stuff i just uh, i thought it was so good and i'll never honestly i'll never forget i remember certain things in my life i'll never forget finally getting the album after having heard round and round getting it bringing it home putting it on the turntable and having that needle hit and go right down on one and man and it was uh, this is this is another world and because of that scream and i'm going to come back often i think tonight to Piercy's vocals for a number of different reasons, but the way that that Bo Hill was able to to work with Piercy and to get the type of vocals consistently on on song after song, you know, and then it goes right, right into "You're in Trouble," which uh, you know, for me, the jungle thing at the be- at the beginning is kind of 
okay, I could do without that, but you actually hear <laughs> Stephen Piercy for one of the, ironically, even though it's the uh, the first album that many people are hearing, one of the only times that you hear him singing with just bass behind him in in, in the catalog of Rat songs. That's true. Uh, in, in that song. And then, and then goes right into Round and Round, which everybody has heard. For me, when you're talking about a song like uh, like She Wants Money, which is, as I think, as punk as Rat has ever got, uh, that's a really, really cool song for me. And then, you know, a song like um, uh, The Morning After, uh, which I think isn't isn't great, oh, uh, but I'm I'm insane. I love. I mean, <laughs> that one, that one I love. And then the you know the vocal effects in so many different songs. Like you mentioned in your direction, uh, the the way the vocal effects change from one verse to the other. All these little things that I've been listening to for for years and just get me off from listening to this album. And lack of communication. That's one of my all time favorite rat tunes. One of my all time favorite rock tunes. what you're about to hear i know on the lack of communication those uh that was a point of contention in the studio because uh you know piercy would write all the lyrics to the songs and he would do stuff well he would basically go away from the studio to write his lyrics and he didn't want input from the other guys and juan wrote all the music to the song so juan felt very attached to the song and he titled it he lack of communication was his idea and he wrote lyrics for it and then Steven went and changed a whole bunch of the lyrics to, and, he, and Juan was like, the lyrics don't make any sense now. And Steven's like, well, if I don't get off on it, then they're not going to get off on it. So I've got to do what's right for me. True. But, and it's, yeah, there's like, if you watch the behind the music, like Juan to this day is still pissed off about what Steven did to the lyrics. To the lack of communication. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, one of the things that, w- that we also hear in lack of communication is, uh, you know, Robin Crosby, uh, God rest his soul. And his vocals, uh, he had that deep vocal thing that's actually really up front in the in the mix, uh-huh. and it's awesome to hear because it, it, it it's a recurring theme sometimes in the uh, in the backing vocals for for Rat. You hear it in a bunch of different songs, and and, and you mentioned uh, Warren D. Martino, how important he is, and I know we'll talk more about him, but you know Robin Crosby for his writing ability, that backup vocal that I think gave it some balls yeah, and, some real and really kind of gave it a little bit more metal than, than, than maybe other groups in terms of their background vocals that were much more airy. I don't know if, if that's a word to describe mm-hmm. vocals, but mean. much more airy as opposed to, uh, to just fatter. Mm-hmm. And Robin, I think had a lot to do with that. Right. I agree with that. Invasion of your privacy comes out the next year, 1985 released June 13th and produced again by Bo Hill peaked at number seven on billboard 200 uh, You're in Love, another awesome album opener. Um, Lay It Down, in my opinion, has the quintessential rat guitar riff. I think it's and, it, and it's a perfectly structured song. I think Lay It Down might be their best song ever. Um, and it's in, 
and the album comes to a really strong close with you should know by now and dangerous but worth the risk i think I mean, that's ending ending your album with those two songs. I mean, that tells you how strong of a record it is. There's a couple of songs on here I'm not super crazy about, but there's never any songs that I skip on the record. I mean, it, Out of the Cellar and Invasion of Your Privacy, both I will listen to from start to finish, and I'll never skip a song, but uh, that's my take on it. I don't think there's, there's a sophomore slump uh, that we see in other bands. I mean, I think this one, as you said, comes out of the gate with You're in Love, and once again now, so this is the first tour that I actually see uh, Rat. So this is the first uh, the first time I actually get to see them live on the Invasion tour. Nice. And when you hear You're in Love, I mean, and, and you see the video, it just sets up going to an arena show and just being big and bombastic and the lights and uh, and Warren Demartini, you know, with with this with this opening riff and. Never Use Love, the second song I could do without, but then Lay It Down, for me, is the best song that Rat ever did. Right. And part of it is because of that that opening riff. I mean, I've used it at times to come out. Um, people have oftentimes, you know, when I'm speaking or something like that, they'll ask, well, what what do you want for your opening song or, or your <laughs> intro song? And I'll, I always tell them, look, I want Lay It Down from Rat. Awesome. And, uh, <laughs> so, I, so oftentimes I'll come out and speak to <laughs> corporations and stuff uh, to uh, to Warren D. Martini and and lay it down. Nice, uh, that's awesome. I love it, man. One that's of us. Cool. One of us. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So and, and so at this point, keep in mind. Once again, I'm I'm I'm, I'm not even driving yet. Um, but Rat is a huge part of my life. So much so that. I'm even watching Stephen Piercy and the way that he dresses. I remember buying uh, white long underwear and and splattering paint on them because I had <laughs> seen him in the videos with these paint splattered leather pants, not obviously long underwear. <laughs> even the uh, the the clasp that he had on the outside of his uh, of his ear, I wanted to emulate, so I went and got one of those those uh, those clasps on the yeah. outside of the ear. So now I'm fully immersed in the rat. Uh, scene and the rat way of doing things, and I am I am bought in. I am I am excited. So I get to finally see my favorite band mm-hmm. on the Invasion tour, and it was everything that I wanted and even more. And this and this uh, and this this album. I mean, you should know by now. I love that song. I love that vocal breakdown. Uh, and, and once again, those harmonies. And this gets back to Bo Hill, how important and quintessential he was to the band and the sound of the band. And he really was, I think, a sixth member. And and while m- many of the guys in the group might not like that, that is what that is what the candy was for me. It was that production. It was those incredible harmonies and and vocals and and really interesting harmonies and melodies that they that they had when it came to the vocals and whether it was on Stephen Piercy's lead vocals or everything else it was just I wanted to hear the vocals of a rat song as much as I wanted to hear the the song in its entirety and you know when you get to a live rat show it's a little bit different and we'll talk about that probably a little later but when it came to a second uh, album or second full album shall we say I mean this was pretty awesome and now they're now they're they're cooking yeah yeah most definitely you know we talk about that about how you know when a band comes out with just a stellar debut album and how much pressure is on to follow that up you know and Mm -hmm. and nine times out of ten you just can't do it you know because you 
do you look at a band that's been playing these songs for five years, you know, or or have been playing them in the clubs or have written them, you know, years ago, and these are their songs and that's their showcase. Well, now they got to create something new. But I think Rat with with this one, Invasion of Your Privacy, man, they come back damn strong for a second album, mm-hmm. especially considering what they have to follow up. Yeah, and I agree with Alexi that the that Bo Hill was a huge player in that and. It's weird because like the he he in that behind the music he's cast as such a villain by the guys in the band mm-hmm. you know because they're like well he's rushing us through and we got to get this record in on time and he's doing everything his way and you know not listening to us but they really should thank the guy because he helped give them an identity he made them sound different and stand out from the pack right because Rat you know you you think about them like you said Quiet Riot Motley Crue and Rat yeah you know three distinctly different bands Very. you know in a time where the Sunset Strip is about to freaking explode, you know, and you're going to have all kinds of clones of all three yeah. of these bands. But I think people sometimes don't appreciate or they forget the true uniqueness of the sound of Rat, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that deserves a lot of attention, and we're getting a little of that well, today. Well, they were kind of the forerunners of sleaze rock, you know. I know Motley mm-hmm, was too, sure. Motley, but Motley almost had more of a punk rock edge to it, but... But uh, Rat was more, Rat was helped shape that scene just as much as Motley and Quiet Riot did. Right. And like Lexi said, you know, Bo Hill's got a lot to do with that because he, and like you said too, you know, took control of these young guys who are party animals, oh, you really know, were. up to their eyeballs and poontang mm. and rock and roll. And, you know, somebody's got to reel them in and make it happen under the timeline they're given by the record companies. And I apparently, you know, judging by these first couple albums and really all his work with Rat, he was the guy to do it. Oh, and Alexi, I got to ask, so were you up to your eyeballs in poontang with the long johns and the, and the clip <laughs> earring? Was it working? No, that didn't that didn't quite translate. I was uh, I was just in the upper deck looking down, thinking about uh, the lives that these guys <laughs> running around that looked very small in uh, in Joe Louis Arena where I was seeing them play and saying, <laughs> "My God, what what lives they must be living, the yeah. things they must be doing." It's uh, and from from my little suburban vantage point, it looked like uh, just the most incredible thing ever. You know, later on you you learn that it, it doesn't come with its uh, without its uh, its difficulties and its uh, and its challenges but you, you mentioned uh you know the, the production of bands mm-hmm. you know for example a quiet riot for me it, it felt much less produced and therefore it wasn't as appealing to me as a rat uh, motley was, was a little bit more produced and therefore was more appealing to me and a lot of it focused on the guitar sound obviously and and the vocals and the way that it was that it was put together and you mentioned Stephen Piercy look he he will readily admit that he is in his mind not the greatest singer but in rock and roll it's not about being the greatest singer for me it's about being a singer that you identify with and mm-hmm. a singer that you that you hear and you know exactly who it is and mm-hmm. for look he's he he, he 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 has limitations when it comes to his ability vocally, but when you hear Stephen Piercy, you know that Stephen Piercy, and that's yeah. that's not necessarily easy to do. Even when you look at someone like uh, like Vince Neil, there's a lot of other uh, a lot of other uh, of I guess it would be called clones out there that kind of sound like him. There was never anybody in my mind that ever sounded like Stephen Piercy, mm-hmm. and that that's a credit to him uh, for and to Bo Hill for. For for cultivating that, and I know they don't like to. It, it seems like if they compliment him too much, they feel like they're 
giving away their talent. And that's not – look, he, he was, was, was partially responsible, but it doesn't happen without the talent of those individual guys. But it's OK to give him credit for molding that and polishing that into something that was pal- palatable for the masses, mm-hmm. especially when uh, it made them so much money over the years. So uh, he deserves a tremendous amount of credit for what he did, but it doesn't take anything away from the talent of the individuals in the band. Right. Right. Most definitely. That's true. So let's move on to 1986 with Dancing Undercover, released August 9th of that year, produced again by Bo Hill, peaked at 26 on the Billboard 200, um, and the streak of awesome album openers continues with Dance. I think that's a great song. Body Talk were other singles. I love both of those songs. Uh, opening acts on this tour in support of this album included Poison, Cinderella, Cheap Trick, Queensryche, and the Vinnie Vincent Invasion. That's uh, quite a list of opening bands. Uh, Robin Crosby's riff writing and Warren D. Martini's guitar soloing continue to impress on this record. Uh, my favorite deep track on this one is Seventh Avenue. I yeah. think that's an awesome song. Um, the only stuff in here I didn't really like, I didn't care much for doesn't matter and I don't care much for take a chance, but, um, and I like the production on this record. Uh, the drums sound a lot bigger on this record than on the previous two. I, so I, and the band was going through a lot of, a lot of, uh, tension at this time. Like things, you know, things were not happy at, in the rat camp at this time, but I think they still churned out a pretty good album. I love dance. I mean, I think that that is a wonderful way to, once again, to start off an album, like you said, and, and. And, you know, it's like this this marker when you hear it, uh, you know, with the with the whole delay going on with uh, with uh, Warren D. Martini's guitars. Oh, my goodness. This is building into something big. And then it does. Interestingly enough, dance, they don't do live. They've done it a couple of times, but they don't do live. And Stephen Piercy will readily admit that part of the problem is that there was so much production done on a, a song like dance that it's difficult for them uh, and next to impossible for them to replicate it or do it in a way that does it justice. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is some of the problems that you get into when you have massive production and when you have huge gang vocals and all that kind of stuff is trying to to find a way to do it live without obviously flying in all sorts of uh, things from the side, which which is one way to do it. I have no problem with it. But but Rat, sometimes when you hear them live, misses that big sound and that production that came from the studios. And in a song like Dance, it's it's so important to have it. Body Talk, you mentioned for me, is the other good one. There were there were a, I didn't like Slip of the Lip for me. It wasn't it, other than the fact that it was out and it was a video for it. I didn't really care for it too much. It just it it didn't 
speak to me the way that others did. I actually like Take a Chance, uh, and I really love the Hey, Hey, Hey's at the end. They're, they're, they're awesome. And then the last song on the album, Enough is Enough, you actually hear Stephen Piercy alone with uh, Warren Martini on a clean guitar for, for one of the, the, the few times. And that always intrigued me, even though it went on to become a much, much bigger song. And, and that was lost very quickly into the song. The fact that there was just this voice and a guitar, uh, I thought that was really cool. Hmm. great album you know rats on a roll at this point you know we're starting to see in retrospect looking back starting to see some of the cracks in the armor but one thing i always liked about it was just the album cover how badass do the guys look on the cover of dancing undercover Mm -hmm. they look like they're about to kick the hell out of somebody then then let's take a let's do a consensus do do we all agree that the lines in between them are lines of cocaine (laughs) you know i never really thought about it before but looking at it right now what did people use vinyl albums for back in the 80s? Yeah. <laughs> there, you go. there you go. We'll have to get to the bottom of this. You know, it, was, it is a cool it's a, it is a cool album cover. And, and Mike, I remember staring at it. <laughs> my conspiracy theory is it was that photo of all the band members and then someone cut up lines and they were like, "Wait a minute. Here's an album cover." <laughs> well, it was the 80s. Anything could happen back right. then. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So favorite songs off this one? Body talk, yeah. Body yeah, talk, body and, talk. And dance for me. Yeah. Okay. And Blotzer's Blotzer's at the end. He does this thing with uh, with the, with the beat uh, that's really really cool. This this double time fade out thing uh, on his snare that's really cool. And you know we haven't talked about Bobby Blotzer a lot, but uh, you mentioned you know even the production of his drum and sometimes being much more behind in the mix and and sometimes much more up front. But you know they were big and they were arena type of drums mm-hmm. on vinyl and and you know that's once again that's Bo hill but bobby always did interesting things even on going back to 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 lay it down the the, uh, the bass drum on lay it down is really really cool and some mm-hmm. of the stuff that he does yeah i was talking to aaron before we got on the line with you and and you know bobby has really taken a lot of hits lately in the media and, and some deserved but um as far as his playing goes, you can't. I don't think you can really give him a lot of shade over his playing. I think he's a really capable drummer, and he he yeah. did some interesting things, especially on the early records. Like you said, in "Lay It Down," that's a really unique drum pattern he plays on that. That's not a standard yep. drum beat you would normally hear in the '80s. No, I think I think Blotzer's really good, you know, and and you like you said, he does catch a lot of shit nowadays for, you know, the stuff that's going we'll, on. We'll get but, into that, <laughs> but you know, yeah, that's that's all still coming up in this conversation. But yeah, as far as you know, great drummers from that era, you got to include Bobby Blotzer in that, you know, because again, you know, the the unique sound of Rat, you know, the thing that sets them apart. While they were such a huge face of that genre of of la metal coming out at that time that was so hugely popular you know the unique sound of rat was something that set them apart from everybody else and i think bobby blotzer as a drummer has a huge hand in that i agree well, i know you don't really know 
this is Robin Crosby from RAT. And if your cable system doesn't carry U68, then call them up, tell them to fucking quit messing around. <laughs> and if your cable system doesn't carry U68, then call them up and tell them that. Hello, this is Robin Crosby. God, I can't even get my own name. That's fucked up. All right. Hello, this is Robin Crosby from RAT, and when you're in your car, remember to buckle up for safety. It's the law. Your body shakes. You've come face to face with RAT. Friday night, March 24th, the biggest show in rock explodes. Brace yourself for the ultimate RAT. Sunshine Promotions presents with special guest Brittany Fox plus Kids. Tickets are on sale now at the Gardens Box Office, all Ticketron and Ticketmaster locations, including Vine Records, Lazarus, and Oxmoor Mall, Select Premier Videos, and National Record Mark Dixie Highway, or charge at 589-9070. Friday night, March 24th at 7.30. Prepare yourself. The infestation has just begun. Before we get back to our conversation with Alexi Lalas here on the Decibel Geek Podcast, I want to let you guys know that there is a ton of awesome rock-related and rat-related stuff available this week over at HK Collectibles, Inc. Collectible concert tickets of Rat with Cheap Trick in Indianapolis in 1986. That would have been awesome to be there. Rat with Bon Jovi in Landover, Maryland from 1985. Nice. And a triple bill of Rat, Kicks, and Britney Fox in Philadelphia in 1989. Where are you going to find this stuff? HK Collectibles Inc. Exactly. That's about the only place you're going to find it. If you're a huge Rat fan, you get those ticket stubs, you put them in a frame, you hang them up. How cool is that? He's got that and a ton more over there at HK Collectibles, Inc. Just go to decibelgeek.com, click on the HK Collectibles, Inc. banner, and it's going to take you straight there. Do all your shopping. Lose yourself at HK Collectibles, Inc., and believe me, it's easy enough to do because he's got so much cool stuff to look at. Yep. While you're there at decibelgeek.com, you're going to notice there's all kinds of cool stuff going on there. That's where you can get yourself a Decibel Geek t-shirt. You will look so good in a Decibel Geek t-shirt. Guaranteed to get you laid sexy that's right that's all it is also at decibelgeek.com you will find that yes we're a whole lot more than just a podcast oh yeah we've got world-class rock and roll journalists all over the world sending back the word of rock and roll back to the website we've got videos of lita ford recently we've got rat discussions going on Dawkins uh, reunion Dawkins reunion stuff on there um we've got a uh, andy lafon put together a pretty awesome review of eden's curse yep. new album worth checking out I mean, the reviews, the concert photos, the videos, it's amazing, and it's all at decibelgeek.com. Another thing you're going to find at the official website of the Decibel Geek podcast is an Amazon link. Now, this thing is very, very important to us. If you're doing any kind of shopping on Amazon, and let's face it, we know you are. Everybody shops on Amazon because if you've got something unique that you want to find, that's where you're going to find it. You're not going to find it at your local Shopco, Kmart, or Walmart. 
You got to go on Amazon to find this stuff. And so if you're doing your shopping on Amazon, well, one thing you can do to really help us out is instead of going straight to Amazon, you go to decibelgeek.com. You click on our Amazon banner. What that does is it takes you right to Amazon, just as if you're going there anyway. And you do all your shopping. You buy whatever it is you want anything that Amazon has you can have it you purchase it when you're done with your interactions with Amazon they take a cut of their money what you've paid Amazon they take a cut of theirs and they kick a little on a decibel geek podcast because we sent you through our link to do your shopping through us so now you didn't pay anything extra but what you did do was you helped Amazon help us and we love you for it another cool thing about that is every single week we get a list of the things that were purchased the week before yes. from Amazon through our link, and it's always interesting it to see what it is. And so I want to got yeah. And, and if you're new to the show, I want to make it clear: you can buy with impunity. We don't we don't get details of who it is that bought what. Right. You know, we're not going to invade your privacy. No. <laughs> See what I did <laughs> Nice. But um, we do get a list of what was bought and some of the more notable purchases from the last seven days. Uh, in books, Gone with the Wind was purchased. And in okay. DVD, Gone with the Wind, the 2 70th Anniversary Edition was purchased. See, I guess it doesn't have to be rock and roll no. at all. It can be anything you want, Even. big or small, anything. Even a long movie from the uh, 30s. Two-disc 70th anniversary yes. edition. Wow. It is a classic. It is. Um, a number of computer parts that have lots of letters and numbers in them was, bar- was bought. I'm not about to read all those. <laughs> but we appreciate, but we appreciate each, each and every circuit very much. And then uh, the most fun part to read off the music purchases for this week. Uh, now, there's a mix of, of familiar and unfamiliar on here. Okay. Uh, the White Stripes Elephant was bought. That's a good album. Brother Fire Tribe False Metal. Hmm. That's new to me. ACDC, Hell Ain't a Bad Place to Be, and Ride On were purchased. Those are great songs. Hillsong United, Here Now. I've heard of this band, but I don't know any of their material. Hmm. Kari Job, Keeper of My Heart. That's a new one to me, too. (laughs) Okay, that sounds metal, right? But we thank you. Uh, Taiketo, the new album, Reach, was Oh, nice. I I didn't even know they had a new album out. Yeah, the record company just sent that to me for streaming, so I'm going to check that out this week. Nice. Let me know how that is. I'm sure it's going to be great. Davenport Cabinet, Selfish Angels. That's another new one on me. Uh, Judas Priest, Sin After Sin. Never heard of it. (laughs) (laughs) Roger Glover produced. Uh, Devin Townsend Project, Stormbending. Some of that Devin Townsend stuff is really cool. Yeah, I hear mixed reviews on that. I hear some people that really love it and some people that just don't like any of it. Yeah, he can get rather experimental on some of his stuff. Yeah. And then closing out, uh, possibly influenced by last week, Saxon Strong Arm of the Law. Nice. That means we're doing our jobs here at Decibel Geek because after all, basically, don't tell anyone. Buddy, we're just a big infomercial for rock and roll. Yeah. So we want you to go out and purchase these albums and, and see these bands. Support the band. No matter what version comes to your town, we want you to go buy <laughs> tickets and we want you to support the rock and roll because let's face it, without us supporting these bands and artists, it all goes away. That's and right. What a sad, bleak world it would be if we had no good hard rock and classic metal to enjoy in our lives it'd be awful so that's us doing our part so get out there and buy the entire rat discography do it through our link at decibelgeek.com but yeah always support the bands and artists no matter whose side you're on that's right so ready to get back into more rat with alexi i really really am all right here we go So let's move on to 1988. Reach for the Sky comes out on November 3rd. This was two days before my 12th birthday. And I remember when this album came out. It seemed like forever waiting for that new Rat album to come Mm -hmm. on. 
And this one was produced by Bo Hill and Mike Stone, sort of. If you don't know the story about it, basically they hired Mike Stone to produce the record. Mike Stone worked with Queen and some other bands and was considered a legend and basically then started drinking through the entire sessions of, of the album and not doing much of a job on it. And the band was horrified at what the, what he was churning out with them in the studio. And uh, if you watch the Behind the Music, he... Uh, Bo Hill is interviewed and he says that Doug Morris from Atlantic Records calls him up one day and goes, so I'm listening to the rough tracks for the new Rat album. He's like, oh yeah, what'd you think? He said they sound like a bad Holiday Inn band. Oh wow. It was that bad. So Mike Stone is basically pushed to the side and Bo Hill is brought in to salvage the record. And as Juan says in the interview, and guess what? It sounds like all the other Rat records, which is not a bad thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, because all the other Rat records I like up to this point are really damn good. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I just. I think he's. I don't know. Maybe Juan wasn't being heard for his suggestions production-wise in the studio, but it's a good-sounding album. You can definitely tell that there's that the cracks are definitely starting to show between the members of the band. Uh, I think the great opener streak ends on this album. I don't think, yes. I think city yes. to city is just an okay song. It's really? nothing. There's not Although Warren solo is incredible on it, but the song is just kind of, eh. I like city to city. Um, the bit, they, they made videos for, I want a woman and way cool junior. And it was rad at their, their glammiest look. Um, favorite deep track in my opinion, in this album is chain reaction. I think that's an awesome song. Just, you know, four to the yep. floor. Clunker to me is I want to love you tonight. I think that's kind of a generic tune, but uh, overall I like the record. I think the album cover sucks, but uh, it's a good album overall. It is a weird album cover for rat, you know, yeah. and it's definitely not what you expected out of rat. And I remember when uh way cool junior came out as a video, it was the first time one of my peers, I was able we were watching uh-huh. this and they're going, this sucks. <laughs> it was the first time in my life I'd ever heard anybody say rat sucks. And I was, I couldn't believe it because I thought I, ouch, I thought it was really cool. No, I like you know? Michael Jr. I did. Yeah. I thought it was great, but it was like, it was getting to be that, that point in time where rats kind of almost in the public perception, they're almost over the hill at this point. Yeah. Well, and guns and roses had taken form at that point too. And I think that started changing people's perceptions about what was cool and what wasn't. Uh, Well, as far as the the album cover, yeah, it's this kind of artistic thing that they did. And I I, look, I guess it worked for skid row with slave to the grind, but it didn't work (laughs) so well for, uh, for rat with, with, with reach. And uh, if, if I'm not mistaken, at this point, you got, you got Juan, who's actually playing bass on keyboards, uh, doing his key, doing his bass through keyboards and stuff. So there's a lot of different stuff going on here. I agree with you that City City to City is is a horrible opener. I I, I think it's a complete throwaway. They opened up the tour with it. Uh, when they were on tour, they opened up shows with it. And the yeah. fact that it um, it is kind of a sound check song does it doesn't surprise me that they would open it up in order to get the sound right and get it over with. Uh, I want a woman was was good, uh, way cool. I never got into the, the way cool thing. It was almost as if they bit off more than they can chew. And it's not that that Warren Demartini can't play that type of stuff, but it was it, it was more intricate intricate than I wanted from Rat. And that's not to say that I, I want them dumbed down. It just it, it they it seemed forced in mm-hmm. the way that the, that song came out. Chain reaction you mentioned, I loved. I mean, because that was just a straight ahead freight train coming at you, you know, double kick, you know, like uh, Warrant did a song called Inside and Out that was kind of yeah. like that too, where yeah. it's just a hundred miles an hour. And I just, I loved that. My, my 
my favorite track on the whole album is no is a song called No Surprise. Yeah. And it uh, once again because of the vocal arrangement and the way that there's you know there's an a cappella intro and just the harmonies the, the really interesting harmonies that go on. I, I just love that song and I know very few people actually listen to that. What's it going to be is interesting at the end, only because we were talking about Stephen Piercy's lyrics, which sometimes are really kind of general and all-encompassing, and you don't really know, there are no real specifics in terms of what he's talking about. He mentions, a, I think he mentions a girl in that one, uh, Elena, at one point, which is, which is an interesting thing because it stands out in terms of the Rat catalog, where there is some sort of specifics and personal notes there that you don't get a lot from when it comes to Stephen Piercy and his lyrics. Uh, you know, as a rat person, you know, I'm I'm devouring this. But I am listening to a song like City to City and saying, really? That's how we're starting the album after all of these great intros for the past uh, three albums? Yeah. I, I would have picked a different song to open the album personally. I'd, I would have opened it with Chain Reaction and really grabbed people by the balls. But, you know, or grabbed them by something else. That, well, we won't talk about that. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't want I don't want to time stamp this episode too much. Um but no, I think it's a cool record. Aaron, I mean, what do you think on this record? I see Rat there being a little more experimental than what we're used to out of Rat, mm. trying some new things, which is okay. You know, I disagree with you guys. I think City to City is a pretty great song. It's one of my favorite Rat tunes. But uh, yeah, a little bit different. Like I said, it was the first time I ever seen anybody negatively react to the band, and that was weird and different to me, but that was a sign of things that were about to come and change in the whole you know rock and roll world you know right around the corner but to me i thought it was great i loved it when it came out and i still give it a listen every once in a while i think my favorite song on here i gotta agree with alexi is no surprise it is a great song okay so 1990 now here's a this is a divisive album in the band's catalog and i think (laughs) it's also because of when it came out detonator comes out in august of 1990 Produced by Sir Arthur Payson and former guest and friend of the show, Desmond Child. And peaked at number 23 on the Billboard 200. Um, I This album has the Desmond Child stamp all over it, which I think is great. Because I love Desmond Child and I love his production and his writing. Um, I think it's an underrated record. Um, shame, Shame, Shame is an awesome opening track. I think they're back on opening track, good opening tracks here. Yeah. And then it goes into Love and Use a Dirty Job, which is an awesome second track to go yeah. into. So it starts out really good. 
layering going on with the instrumentation on this album, which is probably Desmond Child's doing. Like it's it's a more it's definitely a more ambitious album instrumentally compared to what they've done in the past. Um, and it, it's them stretching a bit musically now. There's some of this stuff does veer into a AOR territory, which I know some rap fans had a real issue with, but I think Alexi's probably on the same wavelength as me. I like the melodic stuff. So this if you're into melodic stuff, this album has it in spades. Like One Step Away is a great pop rock song. Um, even though Blotzer's involved in the writing. Um, Giving Yourself Away is a classic Desmond Child ballad. And if this if this had been on Reach for the Sky and came out in 88, this would have been the big rat power ballad, which they never actually had. But this song would have been a huge hit and I think probably would have given them an even bigger surge at the time. I could definitely see that. And like you say, the influence of Desmond Child is all over this album. He co-writes almost every song on it. You know, you get more more of that pop sensibility mm-hmm. that you expect out of a Desmond Child collaboration. Much, yeah. You know, to me, eh, you know, there were some songs on it I really liked and some songs I just thought, what is going on here? Although I had a friend who was... Into the heavier stuff and hated everything Desmond Child touched. Yeah. And he used to make the joke that this album was so mistitled being called Detonator that it should have been called Respirator. Wow. Because <laughs> it's so sleepy. Desminator. I love it, though. What do you think, Alexi? Uh, I, I, I love this album. Um, and I love Desmond Child. And uh, a couple of things. Okay, so... So number one, now now Rat is starting to, well, I mean, it's already well into the throes of, of, of problems when it comes to who they are as a band. Um, I remember seeing them on this tour at the Palace in Auburn Hills. I mean, maybe a half-filled palace. So things things are not going well for the Rat, and, and in general for that type of music. We're, we're getting to that point where it's starting to change. Um, the fact that they went away from Bow Hill I thought was interesting. I don't know if you guys, this is going to get real deep in the weeds, but <laughs> I, when I, around, around about this time, we're, and I'm starting to buy CDs and listen to CDs, and even later on when I'm listening to this CD, there was a high-pitch frequency in this album that didn't exist in any of the other albums. And I don't know if this was a, some sort of production thing or whatever, or maybe my, at that point, what, 19-year-old ears just were, were able to pick up on this. But it always, it, it didn't bother me. It was just very strange for me that whenever I think of this album, I think of this high-pitched frequency that I always heard. And it wasn't just one song, it was throughout the album. So I don't know how that how that was how that was done or if or even if it's my imagination it, but this is some of the things that i think of it was bow hill so, he was he was screaming because he was locked in a closet <laughs> by desmond child but then you got shame which is awesome i yeah. mean it I, never has stephen piercy for me just sounded so perfectly dirty and sleazy in the way that he's singing it i i, I loved it and warren Martini, you know coming in with uh whether we call it Warren D or, or Intro to Shame, uh, once again, back to starting an album the way it should be started with, with an incredible punch. 
Dirty job is, you know, that's that's always going to be something that people are going to like because it's just this this sing along. You can anticipate it, um, and and Piercy once again kind of fits his whole persona. For me, I, I thought the best song on the album was a song called "Can't Wait on Love," mm-hmm. and I just love the way that that kicks in right from the start and just goes into it with a, it's just a wonderful sing along chorus. Let's see what else uh, you had mentioned. Hard time, I think, is one of P- Stephen Piercy's greatest vocal performances. If you listen to it, um, it, it w- whether the song's good or not, I just thought that he was really, really good on that uh, on Hard Time. And then I thought Top Secret was ridiculous. I didn't think that that was a good song at all. And they they brought that back and did different mixes of it and stuff. I never got the the attraction to Top Secret. I didn't think that was was anything uh, that I, that I wanted to listen to. And one step away, you mentioned, and and you also mentioned that Blotzer was involved in the writing. For me, it was kind of like a poison song. It was like Fallen Angel, mm-hmm. and it, and it just didn't fit for me. It was it was different. It was interesting, and in that sense, it made you perk up. But they didn't quite do it in the way. That 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 made it interesting enough for me to say, hey, that's a that's a cool rat version of a of a different song, and I wouldn't have thought about that. So, mm-hmm. but you know, all in all, once again, I thought that Desmond Desmond Child did a great job of, of and, and he got them that that uh, you know, giving yourself away in terms of the ballot. I would have loved to hear giving yourself away from somebody else. <laughs> yeah. uh, it almost and and I hate to say this, it's. It's almost wasted on Rat, <laughs> you know. It's it's such a good, cool song that I, I think they probably could have made a lot of money and had a really big hit if somebody else had done it. Right. My, yeah. the, the goal was to get them their every rose as its thorn, though. I think. Right. Yeah. Right. They wanted some of that money. But Rat's just—they're not a power me, ballad band. Yeah, though. they're not that kind of band, and that was something that I always liked and appreciated about Rat. Was that while, you know, all these other bands, it was like, you have to have that hit love ballad, you know, and that's the one that the girls are going to, you know, make the, that's what's going to make the girls go buy the album, make the girls buy the tickets to come see the band, you know, and and buy the hit paraders and metal edges and put the posters up on the wall. And Rat was really never one of those bands and, and then giving yourself away. And I remember (laughs) hearing that too, going, what? No, this ain't Rat. Well, Desmond was on speed dial for everyone wanting a ballad at the time. True. So I, yeah. I, I can't, you can't blame him for wanting it. But it, yeah, I mean, in hindsight, it's, it probably was a desperate move. It's like, well, everyone else has a big power ballad. I guess we should have one right. too. Right. Where's, where's Desmond Child and Diane Warden right now? Come uh, on. Yeah. Tell them to take a break from writing with Paul Stanley and come over to our house. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So there's a, so this album happens in 1990 and then. Things just go haywire, and a lot of stuff goes down. And uh, I guess we should probably talk about the ensuing years before we get into 1999, because a, yeah, because that a was, lot goes down in those everything years. changed then. Because at that point, in then the next year they come out with the Rat and Roll Greatest Hits, mm-hmm. which you know that could have been a double album. 
there were so many great songs that Rat came out with between those 10 years. But when they come back from it, it's totally different. The whole scene has changed, you know, mm-hmm. and, and Rat had their own internal problems to go along with it. Yeah, and, you know, Detonator was Robin's last album with the band. He was let go from the band after that for his addiction problems, and we all know how that winds up. He, You know, his heroin spins out of control. He winds up getting HIV and then a lot of health problems that end up leading to his death. I mean, well, uh, Alexi, you, you know, you, you were a diehard fan at the time. What was your response to everything that was going down at the time? Well, so obviously this is mid-'90s, and, and the music world is changing, both the the actual music and the way that we consume it and, and all that. And, you know, we've, you guys, I'm sure have talked ad nauseum about how it ate up a lot of these eighties bands mm-hmm. and grunge and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, for me, so, so when the best of came out, you know, a, a song like nobody rides for free, which was obviously not on any albums, but which, which for, for me, it, it was on the Point Break soundtrack and stuff like that. And for me, it was Martini's best guitar work of, of for me, I just mm. love the work that he did in that. It was just so soulful and really perfectly showed why what you mentioned at the beginning of the show is, is so important is that he wasn't just about speed for Warren. He could certainly do that, but he had, I think, more soul and a, and a, and a feel that oftentimes is, I don't think given enough recognition and value. And I think it was all over a song like Nobody Rides for Free. But when you're starting to come out with with bests of, then you know there's there's kind of a, a of a bookend or at least a a break, yeah. and things are starting to change. And and we know now about everything that was that was going on. So I didn't know what was going to happen here uh, with Rat. Now that band members are starting to change. And even on that show uh, that I saw that was half filled at the palace, at that point, Michael Shanker was subbing in. Oh, yeah. And so I, I knew some things were, were, were not, were not great. I forgot about and uh, I didn't know if this was, was, this was the end of my favorite band, but uh, I held out hope that they would get things back together. And you, you read a million different things at the time and the, the infighting and the outfighting and all that kind of stuff. But it did not look good. Let's, no. let, let's say that both in terms of just the actual band and the climate that the band and what they were and what they represented was existing in. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, what did you think of Arcade? I thought Arcade was a really cool project that Steven was in. Loved it. Yeah. Loved it. I remember seeing him down in uh, – Westminster here in LA at a little club, a band called uh, Razzle opened up for them, which then I think went on to become Lit. Yeah, and, that's exactly uh, who that is. Uh, and, and it was awesome because you know now I'm, now it's a club. So all the other times that I'd ever seen Rat was in a, a stadium setting, and now I, I'm literally feet away from Stephen Piercy. And the fact that the first arcade album was so awesome. Second one was was I, I thought was horrible, but the first one was just money and mm. just great song after great song and once again the production was good and steven's voice was was awesome in what he did so for me that was it was a substitute but it was a pretty cool substitute to be able to see live and to be able to hear and i thought wow if this is arcade that's cool it's not rat but at least it's something to tide me over until until the next thing comes out right so we move on to 1999 and rat puts out another self-titled album course it's the full album this time um released july 6 1999 produced by richie zito which is a a very different choice for a producer um 
the album did not chart, which was not surprising in 1999 because this era of music was as dead as could be at the time. In my opinion, I I have to be in the right mood for this album. But when I when I am in the mood for it, I really really enjoy it. Um, I rarely go rarely go to it much anymore. Um, it's a darker, muddier production that Richie Zito brought to the band, which I'm sure was strategic. I'm sure they were like, we can't make this sound like it's 1988. It has to have a bit of a contemporary feel to it. I'm really not a fan of Stephen Piercy's vocal production on this. I know what the wonders that Bo Hill could work with his vocals and tricks and stuff in the studio. Uh, Richie Zito had the opposite effect. I thought he botched Stephen's vocals through the whole record. Um, cause his vocals are, and his vocals are buried in most of the mix for this record. Um, mm-hmm. there's some beatle sounding choruses on this album, which I don't know if they're trying to sound beatle or King's X type, you know, stuff and grunge bands were doing that also. I do love Robbie Crane's bass playing on this album. Yeah. He's a, he was a really good addition to the band. I mean, obviously not having Juan there sucked, but, uh, if you're going to get a guy, Robbie Crane was a good guy to get. Um, there's lots of co-writes on this album, so it's not really a tried and true rat album. So it's not going to necessarily sound like a rat album, um, and it mixed results from that. Um, Live for today is a co-write with Jack Russell, which I dig. Um, Dead Reckoning is a co-write with Jack Bl- Jack Blades that I don't dig. So, you know, there's it worked in some instances and some not. My uh, favorite deep cut, which they're all kind of deep cuts on this album, is uh, Gave Up, Given Up. I think that's my favorite tune on the record. most of it but uh, i have to be in the mood for it yeah i can kind of see that too you know it was it was cool to have rat coming back but in 99 man it (laughs) it was tough for any kind of band like rat like nobody wanted nothing to do with rat at that time where there was just the small few select of us that still were interested and i remember getting this on cd when it came out and was excited to hear it and you know I, i liked it you like you say the production could have been way better on it, yeah. I think, but the songs I think were pretty good. It was Rat trying to kind of acclimate themselves to the current culture, what was going on in rock music at the time. So that takes away a lot of the flashiness that Rat's known for, mm-hmm. a lot of the uh, the pop sensibilities that Rat Rat's known for. You know, mixing in with their rock music, but I think overall. It's kind of it makes me sad because I think this is a lot better album than it gets credit for, mm-hmm. and it's a lot better album than it definitely got credit for at the time. Yeah, I mean, I didn't think the production was bad. I think it was just the the way that that they the style that they decided on was was wrong. Mm-hmm. And I, I get why they were doing it. They wanted it to reflect not only what was happening in the moment in music, but also you know these guys had had 
had been there and done that with that massive gloss and sugary type of production, and they wanted to get more raw and, in their minds, probably more uh, authentic and real in the way that that Stephen's voice came across. And and look, so keep in mind that uh, that this is now a four piece that they are uh, yeah. as a band, and I think there's a lot of. Uh, of Warren on this, which which for me is great because I, I get to hear him kind of do some really interesting things. You mentioned Stephen's voice; it, it's completely different at times. Okay, that's that's cool, but at times it it doesn't work for him. You know, a a uh, you know a completely dry and raw Stephen vocal I think takes a specific type of song and and. And you have to be really careful, I think, which songs you choose. And a lot of these just just don't work. Uh, some of them do. I mean, like a, a song like uh, like Breakout, I love. Um, I thought Lovesick was really, really good. Yeah, uh, and favorite. then So Good, So Fine on the end. The, the guitar from uh, Warren Diamartini is, is wonderful. You mentioned Robbie Crane's now in the band, and he can not only play great uh, bass, but also is a really good singer, mm-hmm. uh, both live and, and in the studio. So he's helping out a song like we don't belong. It, it, the vocal just doesn't work. It's almost like a rat country song. <laughs> and and uh, I, I give him credit for, for trying some different things, but you know, the ear wants what the ear wants. And especially when you have been fed a steady diet of something, you can veer off, but if you fear veer too far off, then you risk having somebody taste it and say, no, that's that's not what I'm used to, and that's not what fills me up. Yeah. Now, maybe at times you give them something else that, that they like just as much or fills them up just as much, but in this case, there wasn't enough of that on this album for me to say, yeah, this is this is great. It just was, it just, it bridged a gap, if you will, and I didn't know where that gap or how long that gap was going to last, and it had a couple of things that that, that made me hum along and, and, and I loved, but not enough of them. Right. And it's a it's an interesting thing that you point out how um, one of those songs well, we don't belong sounds has a country sound to it because it's a co-write with Marty Fredrickson who while he did work with Aerosmith and and, and actually Ace Frehley on uh, Anomaly he uh, he's known for doing a lot of work with country acts so right. um, that that comes from a real place yeah, he's a Nashville guy and yeah him and Taylor Rhodes also who worked with Aerosmith but also works with country artists he wrote a lot of stuff on here too he's also a Nashville guy so uh, so yeah there's a Nashville connection to this album which makes sense because it's kind of a rootsier sounding record mm-hmm. um, so. Then we don't hear anything from Rat for a long time outside of just touring. And in 2010, they basically, in my opinion, deliver an audio Christmas present to fans Yeah, called Infestation. Um, released on April 20th in 2010, it's produced by a guy named Michael Elvis Basquette. This, is a, this album is so damn good. Um, and if this is the last Rat album we get, it's a good one to end it on. Um... As far as the stuff I like on it, um, Eat Me Up Alive is a great opening track. Um, I'm not a fan of the vocal processing on Steven's vocals on this either, but um, I will admit I had a huge grin when Warren's solo kicked in and it had that old school Warren Martini guitar sound. Um, Best of Me was super nostalgic when uh, the video for that came out. That was the first thing I heard off of it because they put the video out, I think, before the album came out. And yep. uh, blew me away and blew a lot of rock fans away. I remember it was a big deal on the internet when that video came out. People were like, oh my God, they sound amazing. Yeah. 
Gavazzo was a great addition to the band. Yeah. You know, a, a guy from one of those original Sunset Strip bands, Quiet Riot, coming over to, to play with Rat, that, that just made, makes total sense. And um, so many classic-sounding Rat riffs on this record. Um, Look Out Below, Lost Weekend. Garden of Eden is my favorite deep track on the album. I love that song. It's it's just it's great all the way through. And then uh, Robbie Crane's bass tone, as I said, um, really good and high in the mix. I like I like I'm a guitar player at heart, but I, I but a good rock record has a, a really good punchy bass, and and this album has that. And uh, Don't Let Go is a John Karabi co-write, and uh, you can hear his influence on that song. Right. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a great album, and I, I never thought in 2010 Rat would put an album out that I really don't skip any tracks on, but every time I listen to it, I listen to the whole thing. Right. I mean, when listening to this, I remember when it came out, like you said, you know, and it was a, it was a big deal because... Yeah. For a long time, you know, there's a lot of up in the air about where Rat is, what's going on. You know, there's the infighting in the band, who's in, who's out, you know. And then you get the self-titled album, which is different, you know, and, and weird compared to the classic Rat you're used to. But, you know, 2010 comes around and you just wouldn't ever expect it. And out of left field, it's like wow, there's a new Rat album out, and it sounds like Rat. Like, this mm-hmm. is the Rat that you expect when you pick up an album, and I think they hit it right on the head. My favorite song on here, I, like you say, I like them all. You know, Lost Weekend, I think, is just killer yeah. because it's got that that heaviness, that, you know, just fun, kind of sleazy Rat sound, you know, and I think that's a good indicator of what you get on this whole album, which is totally and completely wrecked. this came out i mean there were tears of joy streaming down my face I, I was i was so happy i mean look i would have been excited no matter what they put out but the fact that this was so good and, and look and you mentioned the first single so best to me comes out and it is a happy song yeah and it's a hopeful song and it is you know, the verses are happy the backup vocals are happy it's 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 a pop song, but to associate such joy and happiness with this band that we know has gone through so much and happy is not a word that you normally associate it. To have them come out of the shoot with, with that song that is so positive in, in, in the way that it sounds, that was great. And then Eat Me Up Alive, I mean, it, it literally could have been the extension or the, the coda for uh, You're In Love.
like you mentioned, Last Call, love Last Call, all those typical, you know, some beautiful vintage rat double entendres and all that, and a, and a strong chorus. I thought Don't Let Go, which you which you mentioned. I didn't like Garden of Eden, Garden of Eden, but I love Don't Let Go, and it's and it's this thing too where Stephen Piercy oftentimes throughout throughout the catalog will not rhyme something, and uh, you'll go to a line and he won't. You, you're thinking that the rhyme is coming. And it's and he just completely goes away from it. Uh, White Lion used to do this often, and I don't know if it's just because they can't find something that rhymes, or they're actually doing it to make you think and not to be and not to be able to anticipate everything. But he does it in here, and the chorus is is just so pop, like a real pop chorus, which is wonderful. And uh, and and like you like you guys said, I thought this was just such a a return to form at the time when nobody could have predicted it. And I was just so happy to have this rat record and to to have this this rat record be so good that if that was it, like you mentioned, then fine, you are going out with one hell of a record that lives up to everything that you've done to the past, but also doesn't sound dated. And, uh, just was, just was wonderful. I agree. Me too. Man. So we, we did it. We went through, 1983 to 2010 and that's for the record so we have to touch on it now because this is a it's just worked out great time wise for when you could come on because rad is kind of big news again Mm -hmm. because basically i've spent the last year getting negative attention because of bobby initially starting bobby blotzer's rad experience realizing that he's not going to sell too many tickets and then deciding well i'm just going to use the name rad and hire a bunch of guys and then in the past, just a few weeks ago, um, on the Monsters of Rock cruise, before they departed, the rest of the guys get up with Jimmy DeGrasso on drums and just blow everyone away. Yeah. And just, I mean, absolutely kick ass. They look good. Steven sounded great. Warren sounds like Warren, which you can't ask for more. Steven playing the old school guitar with the swords and everything. And um, they sounded amazing. So now... Let's go back to about a year ago, Alexi. What, as a diehard Rat fan, what was your take on what uh, happened with Bobby to start all this off? So I've seen the the, the Bobby Blotzer version of Rat. Uh, do I like it? No, but it's all I got. Look, I've seen the Blotzer version. I've seen different lead singers in the past for Rat. Uh, I've seen Steven a number of times uh, solo. I, I'll get whatever Rat that I can get. But just like any rat fan, I want I want the original, especially when it comes to Stephen Piercy. And it's not to say that somebody else can't do Stephen Piercy and maybe even from a, a note hitting perspective, do it justice and maybe even do it better. But it's just it's not the same for me. And so I'm glad that to a certain extent they're back, but there always seems to be fighting. And I don't know how they get around that, you know, if at some point they all figure it out and we get. Uh, obviously, the the four living original members back together, all on one stage again, and uh, I guess it would be Carlos at this point uh, playing guitar. But I mean, uh, the fact that those the, the guys showed up at the uh, at the send off for the uh, you know for the uh, for the monster show, I mean that's that's great. That's great. I wish they could. I wish they could get it together. <laughs> yeah. yeah, me too. I mean, all the pieces are in place now. I mean, you got the rest of the band. Like you said, you know, I saw the footage from that. They looked fan-freaking-tastic, yep. man. And, you know, then you got the Bobby Blosser thing going on, and that's to me, that's weird. I, I don't understand it. You know, if you got, you know, most of the band here, especially the most recognizable members, you know, sonically when you're seeing them live, 
And then you got the one guy who's the drummer, but he's rat. But these other guys have to be something else. I think it's time just to put the differences aside and just make it happen. That's what you would hope for, you know. And I don't know. It's and I hate that it, all this stuff has had to play out in the public eye because it should have never gotten to that point. There's been a lot of shit talk between the camps, mostly on Bobby's side because Bobby likes to talk. But um, can you guys explain something to me that maybe I'm not so sure about? How does it all work with the rat name? How is it that only Bobby is the one using it, or is he is he the only one able to use it? From what I saw, the company that owns the rat name is WBS, which stands for Warren, Bobby, and Steven. And it's those three that own, they have a share in the name. But from what I have been reading, it was basically an equal split between Warren and Bobby. And from what I gather, from what all the reports were before what happened on the Monsters Cruise, was that Bobby was touring the name, but was having to, pay out a chunk of it to Warren who owns half the name. Like hmm. he was claiming I have to pay Warren and because Warren doesn't want to tour. So if I want to tour and play these songs live, I've got to give Warren his cut. But now that the other guys are playing again, they're saying they haven't picked out a name yet. So it's like, right. so they, they're saying, does that mean they can't use the name rat? I don't, it's confusing as hell to me. I mean, do you know any of this, Alexi? I mean, only what I've read and you know, Bobby, Look, I mean, I know there's there's all this back and forth that goes on, but you, you got to give credit to Bobby. He wants to play live and he wants to continue playing rat songs. Yeah. And you know, I, I saw them in L.A. when they were here, and you know, they were they were very good. And they were, I think they did the rat catalog justice, and especially when it came to cuts that you know you were never going to hear before. It was fun to a certain extent to hear the, the, those types of songs that you you never heard or you you're not going to hear going forward. So that was that was fun. But what I from what I understand, if Warren doesn't want to tour, that's all fine and well, but he can't stop his partner in this case it would be Bobby going out and actually playing, which is for a long time evidently what happened. Now the fact that they didn't have their name and they had to use a different name the other day leads me to suspect that from a legal perspective they they couldn't be rat until Bobby uh, gets back into it, or I suppose they could pay him. <laughs> but I mean, look, th- this happens now a lot in 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 this industry, and it's it, it from the outside, it's easy to say, well, why don't they just get there, get get it together, and figure it out? But you don't you don't pick your family, and in many cases, while you pick your band at a young age, mm. <laughs> sometimes you grow up. And they, they're not necessarily your best friends. But from a business perspective, I mean, you got to figure out a way to work with people because this is your livelihood. This is how you make a living. And I like to think as a rat fan that it's also something that you do that you enjoy. Yeah. And the joy that you give other people, whether it's me or you guys or anybody else out there, that there is a value to that. And that whether it's Steven or Warren or Bobby or Juan or anybody else – that they recognize the joy that they have given and that they can continue to give, even at the expense of maybe being in the most comfortable position uh, with the people that they associate with. But who am I to tell them who they can or can't stand up on stage with, but for a couple hours a night to give us rat fans uh, what we want and give us a little bit of that joy, um, uh, it's I, I I hope and pray that there are more moments that we get with the uh, with the originals back together. But who knows? I mean, if 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 history's any indication, 
you know, they love to scream and yell at each other and, and come come up and then come back and then different incarnations of it. So who knows what we're going to see in the future here? Yeah, maybe maybe if enough people show interest, they uh, they can at least do another tour and maybe even another record. That My would goodness. be cool. If it's as good if it's it as, is, good it as is infestation. I mean, it, it, because this is, look, and I think that they would be the first to admit, this is not the biggest band in the world, but this is a band that has an established following, uh, but it is not huge. And so when you start to parcel it out and break it up, I, I'm sure from a business perspective, it can, it can, it can be a problem going forward. But look, if, if it never happens again, that's fine because I have rat and I, and you know, I don't, when, when people ask me who my favorite band is, I always tell them rat and I don't say it in any type of hipster or ironic type of way. Everybody has their, their, their favorite band. And oftentimes it's because of, uh, situational. It's the timing. It's where you were in your life. It's why we associate so many times of our lives with music, especially young times in our mm -hmm. life. And, and Rat for me came along at a time that was crucial and it was everything for me. And it still is my favorite band. And I still get that same type of juice when I hear Warren D. Martini playing and when I hear Stephen Piercy's voice and, and when I hear these songs that I've heard maybe a thousand times. And that that's what your favorite band should do. Yeah. And you should want to have that feeling as much as possible. And everybody has different bands that are their favorites. For me, it happens to be Rat, which is one of the reasons why I jumped at the chance to come on your show and, <laughs> and talk about this. We could talk about a million other bands, but sure. this is near and dear to my heart. Well, I hope you'll consider coming back sometime to do another one. Oh, I'd love to. I'd love to come back and we can talk about what a great songwriter Janie Lane is. Rest, oh, yeah. rest in peace. I mean, all the different things out there and... Uh, you know all the all the different great bands that that I don't think get enough attention and credit that 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 I grew up with and, and are still making great mu music even though oftentimes m few people hear it. Absolutely. Well, well, that sounds like a perfect setup for the return of uh, six songs. Alexi Lalas thinks you should hear. Yeah. Nice. Nice. We'd have to do that. I'm sure Rat will be in that list somewhere. Beautiful. <laughs> So um, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you for doing it with us. And I um, want to give you Very a plug because cool. you're also a musician yourself. And uh, yeah, A lot of people don't realize that, I yeah. don't think. I was surprised to find that and listen to some of your music and found a lot of it was really good. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. It's it's not like Rat. Uh, it's much more, I, I guess, you know, pop rock. You know, uh, uh, for for lack of a better comparison, uh, Rick Springfield esque type of stuff. Um, it's what I it's what I love. Uh, I love just good pop songs, and certainly I could never sing in the way that uh, Stephen Piercy sings, nor play in the way that Warren D. Martini. But yeah, I've been doing music all of my life. I just put out a new album this year. It's called Shots. You can find it on iTunes and all the different platforms out there under my name, Alexi Lawless. Awesome. And guys, listen, it's been an absolute uh, pleasure, and, and thank you so much for inviting me on. Like I said, this is a uh, a love in my life and a passion in my life that uh, people that know me. Uh, oftentimes scratch their heads or, or, or laugh at me. And yet uh, it, it has been important. And I don't, it, you know, I talk about it often and, and I, I fly the flag when it comes to this type of music and in particular when it comes to, to rat and the ability to talk about it and tell people out there how much I love it, even though I might be associated with a specific uh, type of, uh, of culture when it comes to soccer and sports and all that. 
you can't play soccer your entire day. And when I wasn't playing soccer, oftentimes when I was growing up, I was uh, I was listening to Rat, along with a whole lot of other stuff out there. And music is a huge part of my life. It has been and continues to be. And I really appreciate it. It's really fun listening to you guys and, and finding some uh, kindred souls, if you will, when it comes to this type of music. Awesome. Well, thank you. Yeah. Cool. And it's fun, fun to take it from the guy that made it okay to uh, like soccer in the United States. Very cool. That's very cool. And, I'll take that. And on to uh, and I want you to stick around. I have one question I have to ask you for our VIPs. But uh, on the way out, uh, pick one rat song of any song to play out the show. What would you pick? Come on, come on. After what I said about lay it down, uh, come on. Just, I knew you that. Gotta lay it down. Ladies and gentlemen, coming to the stage, Alexi Lawless, and we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.